Live from Naples, this is The Morning Break with Jane Ritter. How much time do you allocate to feedback on activities in the ELT classroom? How do you get feedback from your learners? This morning, I'm joined by Sue Swift to discuss this and other things that we can do to better support our learners. Sue's a recently retired, um, Sue has recently retired. Live from Naples, this is The Morning Break with Jane Ritter on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. So my intro didn't go as well as planned, but there you go. Good morning, everyone. I hope where you are, things are sunny and bright. It's very wet here in Naples today, um, which is unusual for um, this city. But as you probably know, we are celebrating in style. Every day is a party here. Naples won the Italian National Championship and the city is continuing to celebrate and probably will until June. So if you want to see Neapolitans in action, um, do come down. It's um, it's certainly a sight <laughs> to be held. Uh, my house is blue. The pot plants in the street are blue. Um, all the metal bars that stop you from parking in the street are blue. It's, um, it's a pretty fun place to be. As I was saying in my intro, um, this morning I am joined by Sue Swift. Now Sue recently retired um, but worked in EFL and communication skills training for over 50 years and is the author of a number of EFL textbooks both for the global and Italian state school markets. She is an approved trainer and for 20 years was an assessor on the Cambridge English Delta course running both online and face-to-face -face courses for the various modules. Her blog, if you have a chance to look at it, is full of resources and really thought-provoking notes for teachers preparing to take the Cambridge Delta. And you can also seek further support if you are going to do the Delta. Um, look her up. She's fantastic. Um, I will be I hope, yep, I think she's here. Um, I'm just going to welcome Sue. And good morning, Sue. Lovely to have you with me. Thank it's you so much for, for coming. <laughs> um, uh, oh, an incredible career. Um, for those who don't know you very well, could you tell our listeners about your teaching, training, writing journey. Okay, um, I'll give you the short version because I've been in Chessel for 49 years. It's going to be 50 years next year. Oh. So um, a detailed version would take much longer than we've got. Um, but basically I fell into Chessel completely by chance. After I finished university where I'd done a, a degree in English literature, which is great, fun, but not much use for anybody afterwards, unless you actually want to be an English teacher in a state school. Um, I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I hadn't had a gap year before university. So I decided that I'd like to take a year just to travel abroad and um, you know, decide gently, slowly what I actually wanted to do in my life. Um, however, I had to work while I was abroad. And the British Council was advertising for teachers to go to Finland. Every year, they sent out a group of about, or oh, there must have been about 20 of us. And we were all sent to different towns and different organizations in Finland to be their English teachers. Okay, there were things like um, companies. I was in a company. Um, there were also things called the Thin Rich Societies. Uh, which were cultural societies, and some people went to those and that sort of thing. Now, there was no sales track in those days, okay? Uh, you started teaching with no qualifications whatsoever. Mm. And the only training I actually had was two days 
with um, W.R. Lee, who was very well known then. And of course, we knew nothing about TEFL, so we'd never heard of him. Um, in teaching through the direct method. And basically, he taught us to sort of say, What's this? It's a pen. <laughs> Where's the pen? It's on the table. Oh what color God. is the pen? It's red. But we had about an hour of this. And we were already in the break, sort of sending him up right, left, and center, not knowing that this was at the time the standard way of actually uh, teaching English and that he was a, a real authority. Um, so we all decided we were throwing them back out the window and we're going to do our own things, <laughs> which <laughs> leads to my memories of just about the worst lessons I've ever, ever taught. <laughs> Teaching complete beginners things that I would now use at C2 level and that sort of thing. Um, yeah, they're still ingrained in my memory. They must have been um, bewildered. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, I had a whale of a time in Finland. It was great. Um, but I don't think I actually taught anybody anything. <laughs> um, however, uh, I did enjoy it. And I realised that I did enjoy teaching. I realised that I was doing it badly. And so I decided to come back to, to, to the UK, came back to London, um, to, to work and to train at the same time. And at that time the, the training available was what was then called the RSA Diploma, the Royal Society of Arts Diploma. Although it was called a diploma, obviously it was an initial training, so it was it must really have been at Celta level. I guess it can't remember what we did. And I spent a year working at a little language school in, uh, in London and doing my RSA diploma, which I passed. Um, and then, with my piece of paper, with wave in front of prospective employers, uh, I got another job with the British Council, but this time really with the British Council in Milan. Wow. And I came to Milan for two years, and they were possibly the most exciting two years of my teaching career. Um, I know Roy Boardman a couple of weeks ago talked to you about that period and mm -hmm. how exciting that actually was. He was down in Naples. Alan Maley was in Rome. Um, and our English language officer in Milan was a great guy called Harold Fish, um, who, after I'd been there a few weeks, said, OK, we're doing some seminars for Italian teachers. You can do one. What do you want to do? Oh, my goodness. And I'm thinking, you know, I've only just got my diploma. He wants me to start training other teachers. You know? And I did that for, you know, I did some of these seminars for about the first year. And the second year, he said, right, we're running an RSA diploma next year. You're one of the tutors. <laughs> and again, you know, I was I was sort of thinking, God, can I do this? You know, do I have the, uh, the guts to stand up in front of people after I've been teaching really only for two years properly uh, and say that, you know, uh, I can teach you how to teach. <laughs> but anyway, I did. And the other thing that Harold pushed me into was going back to England to do a master's in applied linguistics. And at that time, the two places that did um, masters in, in Appling that were considered were Lancaster and Reading. Mm. And I decided to go to Reading. And that again was extremely exciting because. The um, tutors on the course were people like David Wilkins, who had just been, who was currently involved in um, working out the um, the new CFR um, scheme and so on and so forth. David Crystal, who installed on me absolutely lifelong love of language. Um, you know, I. I owe that entirety. It was a it was a privilege to sit through his lectures. And then other people who worked at uh, the the centre, um, which was involved in running pre-sessional courses, where I also worked part time while I was uh, while I was doing the um, the masters, um, like Keith Morrow, Keith Johnson, Jill Sturtridge, and so on. Um, Keith and Keith, the two Keiths, um, chose me to pilot a book that they were writing um, called Approaches. And that was exciting 
because it was the first time that anybody had tried anything except presentation practice production. It was a test teach test uh, designed course and completely new. Mm. And um, that you know pushed me to my limit because it was a matter of seeing what the, the learners could produce, picking up what we were and, and running running with it. Um, Jill Sturchard at the time was also running, uh, working on uh, information gap activities and that sort of thing. It was lovely. So you know, the three years between the British Council in Milan and um, that year in Reading were very, very exciting. Um, after that, I came back to Italy and spent most of my teaching career in Milan again, not with the British Council, with other organisations. I did have one year in Rome. I was amused when Roy said that he'd been in Naples and he came up to Milan for one day and <laughs> said, that's it, I'm not going there again. Um, I lasted a year in Rome. Wow. Then I said, I'm going back to Milan. <laughs> so I had exactly the opposite um, reaction to, to Roy. Um, I did work elsewhere. I've worked in um, um, in Wales. We've done a lot of work in Wales for an organisation there. And they sent me out to the Middle East. I also did some work in Japan. Uh, and so on. So I've, I've worked in various places, but basically most of my, my teaching career has been here in Milan. Do you feel Milanese or are you... Um... Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't feel English. Okay, I'm English literally in the sense of I'm from London, so, I, you know, British English. Um, I don't feel Italian. Mm. Okay, I don't really feel Milanese. Um, if you if I had to describe myself, I said I'm European. Yeah. Okay. And uh, you know, I was very, very someone about Brexit, for example. Um, because that sort of took my identity uh, away a little bit. Mm. Anyway, um that was my teaching training journey. I mean, after after I qualified and done my masters and everything. Um, I mainly worked in teacher training, although I did do a lot of Business English and ESP work as well. That was another um, interest. But I also got into writing. Um, I wrote my first book, which was called Experiences for Macmillan back in the 80s. And that was commissioned by um, a friend who, who was an editor for Macmillan, who had been a, a co student on the uh, Applied Linguistics course. At and in fact, if I think about all the books that I've written since, They've all come about because of personal contacts. And people sometimes say, how do I get into writing? Yeah. And, you know, my answer is always meet some editors, go to conferences, yeah. uh, connect with editors uh, there. You know, if they know you and they know about your work, they're much more likely to, to, to commission. And in Italy, um, I wrote for a, an Italian publishing company, mostly for the state schools. Mm -hmm. Some for secondary, but mainly for the primary level, which was very exciting because the books were commissioned just as the government introduced uh, English as a as a state school subject. And at the time, of course, the primary teachers had never taught English before. Some of them didn't speak English um, properly. I mean, you know, they were um, struggling once they got up to the the higher levels of, of, of primary. And the interesting thing about that was not only the sort of fun about writing books based on teddy bears and dragons and things like that, but the way I had to write a teacher's book, which had to be absolutely 100% explicit because I was writing for people who I knew knew nothing about. Yeah. What areas of ELT interest you most then? Um, in terms of my own teaching, I think teaching, speaking, and listening. Okay, um, you know the two elements of conversation, basically, uh, both of which I think are often done very badly in the ELT classroom. Um, actually, I think that's true of a lot of things in the ELT classroom. But uh, you're yeah, talking about those. Um, 
I think the communicative approach, although it was um, at the beginning, it had some very sensible ideas because it was reacting to the audiolingual um, approach, the audiolingual method, has been taken to an extreme. Um, the baby's been thrown out of the bathwater, basically. And teachers who weren't around in the audiolingual period um, don't understand fully you know, where to stop. And you know, precepts like uh, when you're teaching listening or reading, you don't need to understand everything. Yeah. yeah. Now, um, I think one of the most important articles that's been published in recent years is Thornbury's Z is for Zero Uncertainty, mm. uh, which you can find easily on the web if you Google it. Okay. Um, where he um, argues that the type of approach that's used these days with Eight long texts, whether listening or reading, okay, um, means that the teacher doesn't have time to deal with them properly, mm. okay, and there are loads of missed learning opportunities, and uh, also a lot of, of learner frustration because they end, you know, knowing well I didn't understand this bit. What does that bit mean, okay? Um, and the answer to that, of course, is to cut down on the length of text we used. Um, when I'm teaching listening and reading, I use really, really short texts, and I do take them to a point of zero uncertainty, i.e. where the learners understand every single word and every single phrase in the, in the text. Um, the other reason that this you don't understand everything course books with long don't need to understand everything course books with long text happen um, was of course the impact of Prashen's input hypothesis, which suggested that learners would just acquire language um, if they were exposed to it. Okay. Um, personally, I think that's a little rubbish. Okay. <laughs> I'm <laughs> my my two favorite things are schmidt's noticing the idea that things have to be made prominent for the learners they have to focus their attention on them they have to practice them if they're going to be acquired and swain's output hypothesis which suggests that learners learn because um by making mistakes and then finding out that they have made a mistake, they haven't been understood or whatever, uh, and how they could have said that more effectively, that's how they acquire the language, they remember that. And that happened to me learning Italian, okay? Um, I, I was once talking to some friends who'd been away, and while they'd been away, they, we'd had an incredible thunderstorm. And I wanted to say the sky was full of lightning, tremendous thunder and what I ended up saying in Italian was the sky was full of tuna fish and uh, <laughs> raspberries okay but of course they burst into laughter because you know the words for thunder and tuna are very similar the words for raspberries and lightning are very similar they understood what I meant they burst into laughing into laughter we all had a good laugh about it I have never ever forgotten those two words since. Exactly. Yes. That, that that is no, swaying out of the process in action. And that of course means that um there's got to be a lot of time for feedback in the classroom. If there's no feedback, then those learning opportunities are are being missed. Um so my suggested sequence for um, work on a text is A, make it a short text. B, yes, okay, do your gist listening and do your detailed listening, but don't immediately confirm the right answers. Don't do what Underhill and Scrivener writing about demand higher ENT called rubber stamping. You know, you elicit the answer, a, a, a student gets it right and you say yes good and you go on well that's fine for that learner okay but what about the others who got it wrong 
and no longer understand, you know, don't understand why they got it wrong. So my sequence would be, okay. Like also you're too shy to ask. They're too shy to ask. Or you don't even have time to ask because you've got to go on. You know, you, one, you've yeah. got schools which say in every lesson you must cover a two-page spread of the course book, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And the teacher just doesn't have the time to, to really go into depth on the students. Um, so I don't confirm a lot of answers. Um, let me give you an example. I, I have a, a listening which I use a lot, um, which involves me saying that I went to the garden centre and I bought 30 plants. Now, you'll know, Jane, that for Italians, the word 30 is frequently confused, not only with 13, but also with 40 and 14. Mm. Okay? So my comprehension question for the detailed listening is how many plants did I buy? 13, 13, A13, B13, C14, D14. Uh, and instead of eliciting you know, from one or two students what they thought the answer is, I asked for votes. Okay, who votes for A, 13? Who votes for B? And they put their hands up. Mm -hmm. And that shows me who's understood and who hasn't. Mm. Okay. And at that point, I say, okay, I'm going to repeat it if you change your mind at all. And I repeat it a little bit more slowly. Mm. And then they vote again. And if still the learners haven't got, haven't all understood, I say, okay, I'm going to repeat it again. Again, see if you, you change your mind. I repeat it a little bit more slow, literally if necessary, until I'm saying, I bought 30 plants. Okay, if that's what it takes, we go down to that. By that time, they're all voting for 30. So we're all, you know, we're all there. So, okay, now let's speed it up again. I bought 30 comments. Okay. And we look at the differences, right? The difference between the uh and the or, or the, you know, can you hear the mm and so on. Um, and that is what I understand by Underhill and Scrivener's uh, view of rubber stamping rather than not rubber stamping. Uh, ideas. In other words, that you focus on not on the right answers, but on the wrong answers. Okay, but nobody's picked on. Nobody um, is said, "No, you got it wrong." Okay, they discover them for themselves that they got it wrong, and at the end, they've got it right. Okay, by the time we actually confirm the answers there. So we do that, um, and then. There's focus on language with transcript work. Okay. I let them see the transcript, possibly with a, a, a gapped version, mm -hmm. which focuses on one particular aspect of the language. This is a listening for language stage. And that might be a feature of connected speech. Um, it might be something that I predicted they're going to have problems with, which wasn't in, included in comprehension questions. Um, or it might be just the feature of the spoken language, like intensifiers, right? In that gardening um, listening, I'm saying all the things, things like, I was terribly extravagant, okay? <laughs> um, and using lots of intent, and we focus on those. And that, you know, um, um, helps uh, develop their spoken language as well as their, uh, their listening comprehension right there. And, then again, the effect of the cumulative approach on speaking and writing. Um, the, I think the two precepts, which again were perfectly valid as a reaction to the audiolingual approach, were that teacher talking time should be cut down to an absolute minimum because it uh, leads to a teacher centered classroom. Um, somebody, and I honestly can't remember who, has written a an article talking about the difference between just teacher talking time and quality teacher talking time. Yeah. And um, again, Underhill and Scrivener have made a distinction between a class which is learner-centered in the sense that you know nine minutes out of ten are spent with students talking and so on, 
and only one minute with the teacher setting up the activity or giving feedback or whatever. Um, and learning centered. And again, um, the idea is that teacher talking uh, time um, can lead to learning opportunities and it's important because of that. And that bring, you know, brings us to the importance of feedback. Mm. Now, feedback is often seen by teachers as just meaning correction. And again, the communicative approach, what one of the kind of in the CELTA because they're so focused on timing and you know they've got to get through everything and then the feedback is just that those few minutes at the end of the activity exactly. and then they've got to get on with the rest. I my my um comment is that you very often you give a, a 10 minute speaking activity and two minutes on feedback. Well for me it should be the other way around. Two minutes on speaking activity and 10 minutes on the feedback, or if it's a five minute speaking activity, 15 minutes on feedback. Um, there. Um, and the feedback um, needs to use, I, I feel, demand high uh, techniques. Now, um, you know, I love Underhill's and Scrivener's idea of demand high EFT. Um, I think that they, it's not been terribly successful because I don't think they've explained very, very clearly how to actually do it, the actual techniques that uh, teachers can use um, in the classroom. I think, in fact, ironically, uh, Thornbury has done this much better. Um, in his uh, book, Teaching Unplugged, he talks about 10 R's, 10 words beginning with R, um, which I've got in front of me here. And they're things like, reward, retrieve, repeat, fast, report, recycle, and so on and so forth. Um, and those um, 10 R's are ways that you can demand on. Let me give you an example again. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm also going to argue that you can't separate accuracy and fluency, because why aren't learners fluent? They're not fluent because they can't think of what to say or how to say what they want to say rather. Okay. So um, the expression doesn't come automatically to mind. Okay. So let's say you know, we're down at quite a low level, and one of the learners says that they're, they're talking about what they did at the weekend. One of the learners says it was raining very much. Okay, perfectly comprehensible. Okay, but not what we would say. Okay, so um, you you know, I would at that point put on the board. It was raining, and then the word H dot 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 dot. Okay, and say here's a better way of saying that. Can anybody say what that word is beginning with H? And some some might come up with hard, some might come up with heavily, or whatever. Okay, so I'd feed that. Then I'd get it repeated. Okay. You know, I'd get it to be repeated by the learner that set it in the first place. But then I'd say to another learner, okay, can you repeat it? And at that point, they often go, oh, um, oh no, um, I wasn't listening. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> and I often have on the top of my board a little slogan. If you don't listen, you don't learn. Okay. And I want them to realize that they're listening to each other as well. So I'll then get back to the original student and say, okay, Dad, let me repeat what we said, and then go back to the student who wasn't listening before. And you know, if the students start to learn, start to realize that they're going to be asked to pick up on what other learners have said, then they start to listen. Mm. You know, it's not just listening to the teacher. It's listening to each other and learning from each other um, as well. There, um, and you know, with other things, we might um, uh, do a substitution. There is all sorts of traditional uh, activities that you can use in the demand I um, stage. Okay, so for that one, for example, uh, it might be snowing. And another learner says it was snowing here. <laughs> And um, you know, and then I'll say to another one, the wind was blowing. 
and that there says the wind was blowing and it would only work with hard so the wind was blowing hard or whatever but you, you get the, the sort of general idea well, that, i mean then you could also go into further collocation works you know absolutely heavily, not snowing heavily the wind is blowing <laughs> exactly there's a, the wind's blowing strongly yeah that that sort of thing and you can you can you can build on it and uh, really push the students into that's what you know it's a learning affordance which is the other word for a learning opportunity uh, and that fits with emerging dealing with emerging okay. but it's not finished there because um if you just drop it at that point um okay they'll know then but they'll forget about it okay and so you know in the next lesson what i might do is start the lesson by putting on the board it was raining h dot 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 and some other things that we focused on and just as a quick five minute warmer while people are arriving okay i often start my lessons before the actual scheduled time if people are there okay so that the others learn that you know come a bit early you'll get a bit more um and that recycle i get them in pairs say, okay what's the missing word that recycles it and then maybe later on in a lesson another student uses it correctly mm. and i'll put it on the board again and i heard david say something that you know we looked at in another lesson a few weeks ago okay what's that missing word there and it brings it back you know, it's this idea of noticing all the time. And then um, Richards talks about accuracy, fluency, and complexity. Right? At a later stage, once they're all happily saying it was raining heavily, okay, which unfortunately in, in the land these days they don't get much chance to do because <laughs> we haven't had rain for I don't know how long, but anyway. I mean, would you believe it here? It is pouring with rain yeah i've heard and we have rain all week right and, and yeah. it's driving i've got building work next door and it's driving the builders mad because it, it never rains in may what is going no. on here exactly we, we, we've not had rain at all <gasps> lombardy has a drought problem um you know uh, agriculture is on its knees for the second year running and so on. anyway sorry well, <laughs> um, getting back to to that right at a later stage, when everybody has got, oh, yeah, okay, it's raining heavily, we know that one, it's raining hard, whatever. Okay, I said, okay, here's another way of saying it. It was P dot 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 <laughs> with R dot dot dot. Okay. <laughs> and that takes it on to another expression, another way of saying the same thing. And that's increasing the complexity um, side of it. So that you're constantly pushing you know, it's it's you know you can praise you know the learners that use the ones that you've already taught that's fine okay mm. but then push them on to the next one another way of saying it okay so in this case it was pouring rain yeah. um, there okay there um with more creative exactly there and like that they start to see that you know this um the feedback is a it's not just correction because you're also picking up on things that people have said correctly but pushing them on to the next uh, expression okay so um it's not demotivating at all um, but they do realize that yes you know you even when they are being corrected it's it's learning that's yeah. actually taking place there okay this idea that you know correcting learners you never say no that's wrong um you ask your learners nine times out of ten they'll say they want correction they want to be corrected they do. yeah okay. it's also promoting active listening as well absolutely yeah obviously it depends how it's done it's got yeah. to be done um you know uh, constructively and not in any way punitively mm um and uh i also make sure that i don't focus just on the weak learners there's got to be focus on the stronger learners as well so nobody feels oh it's always me you know because that is demotivating there but you know um i think yeah it, it's 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 important there so 
how would I teach speaking activities? And this is true of whether they're warm-ups activities, production stage activities, whatever they are, okay? First of all, I think um, the students need either and or, okay, a model, okay? And um, for example, if uh, I, I love teaching anecdotes, anecdote telling, okay? And I would, you know, whatever the topic of the anecdote, let's say it's bad weather, for example, that's what we've been talking about, I would give them, I'd start by giving them a, an example of a time when I was cautioned in bad weather. Okay, then there needs to be some pre-teaching of key vocabulary. Okay, and I do that by asking mentally to plan silently what they want to say about a time when they were caught in bad weather. Mm. Okay, to think it through in English um, in their minds and to identify any expressions that they don't know and don't know how to say in English that they're going to need to say. Okay, and then they get the chance to ask. Okay, now I'm in a monolingual situation, uh, as you are, yeah. um, so I can you know, I can say uh, they can say to me, okay, how do you say blah 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 in Italian, in English, um, in the uh, in multilingual situation, if I didn't I didn't speak the language, I might try say. Look it up in the dictionaries. Take the opportunity to uh, do some dictionary work. Get them to you know, find what they think it is, and they say, "What did you find?" And if it sounds right, say, "Okay." That means that when they actually get into pairs or groups or whatever it is, and actually start talking, they've already solved one of the fluency problems, which is not knowing, not knowing. Not the, how to say things. Um, now, if they've been too shy to ask the first time, okay, or if they've just simply not realised that they're going to need something, then, right, at the end, during the feedback, they get another chance to ask for anything that blocked them while they were uh, actually trying to tell their story or, or whatever it was, or do their role play and um, whatever. Um, and I think, you know, the feedback has perhaps three focus points. The first part, the first part is content. I think it's very important that the teacher focuses on the content of what the learner says to show that they're interested, right? Thornbury has a lovely story about um, a, a lesson where the teacher said, what did you do at the weekend? And one of the students said, I got married. And uh, the teacher said, Oh, that was an interesting weekend. Now, can everybody turn to page 56? <laughs> <laughs> um, if te if, if, I want to find out what was interesting. So I might ask um, um, uh, uh, Loma, all right, what did your partner talk about? Hmm. Okay, And then that learner has the challenge, not of saying what they talked about again, but of, um, you know, uh, repeating the, the part of the story again making sure they were actively listening uh, to it feedback on content feedback on any target language if there has been target language we were at a production stage activity okay and feedback on emergent language which i've already talked about if uh, those three things i think need to be fitted in to um to, to the feedback and you can't do that in two minutes okay it's just not not possible um once when i was i was doing a delta course and i've been plugging this and that you know the trainees were finally getting it okay doing things really nicely one of them came in one day and said i've suddenly realized what this course is all about and i suddenly realized what you're saying and i said oh right uh, what <laughs> and she said Less is more. And I thought, wow, I'd never actually thought about it in those terms myself, but that's exactly what I'd been uh, what I'd been suggesting, right? That by doing by trying to do less uh, in terms of text and uh, the time that the students spend um, talking and so on, and spending more time on feedback. 
that, whether it's a receptive or productive work, you're actually doing a lot more in terms of learning affordances. Yeah. Wonderful. So we need to just quickly go to a news break. Okay. But I'm I'm sure Alice is oh, they're on the edges of their seats waiting to hear more. <laughs> I will see you back here in about five minutes. I'll be here. This programme has been brought to you by The Happy Confident Company. Our clinically approved, ready-to-go wellbeing and mental health programme will help your pupils thrive. In only 10 minutes a day, you'll be able to deliver social and emotional learning and wellbeing tools throughout your school. To find out more, visit us at www.happyconfident.com. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. The UK Labour Party will drop its commitment to abolishing university tuition fees according to reports in a range of media outlets. This is seen by some as another reversal of pledges made by leader Sir Keir Starmer when he first became leader. He told BBC radio outlets that we find ourselves in a different financial situation than when commitments were first made. But he also added that the party was looking at a number of options for reforms to higher education funding. Sakir blamed shifting economic circumstances brought about by the pandemic and Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Student finance was also in the news as financial expert Martin Lewis outlined the three main changes coming in for new university starters in England in September. Mr Lewis was speaking on Good Morning Britain. So-called Plan 5 student loans come into effect in September, but will not affect those already at university. According to Mr Lewis, finance is swinging further away from taxpayer funding and more towards the individual. Those starting uni in September will start repaying student loans once they reach a salary of £25,000 per year, lower than the current threshold. Currently, those with student loans cease repayments after 30 years, even if the debt is uncleared. However, new students will have to pay for 40 years or until the debt is cleared, whichever comes first. This means that graduates could end up repaying loans for their entire working life. In more positive news, the interest on these loans will be lowered from inflation plus 3% to just inflation. In real terms, this means no additional interest. Mr Lewis went on to give detailed examples stating that currently, the taxpayer pays around 44 pence in the pound towards funding and the student pays 56 pence on average. Under the new system, the state will pay 19 pence in the pound and the student 81 pence on average. Statistically, 53% of those in receipt of a student loan are currently likely to pay it off in full. Projections, however, indicate that those in the new system, only 23% are likely to pay off their loans. Mr Lewis ended by saying that the new system effectively moved payment for higher education from the taxpayer to the student and could be seen as amounting to a graduate tax of 9% on earnings above £25,000 a year. In Wales, schools are being urged to review their uniform to make it cheaper for families according to a report on the BBC website. However, the report also says that the Welsh Government has stopped short of calling for school logos on clothes to be ditched, instead saying they should not be compulsory. Education Minister Jeremy Miles said families should be told about changes before the end of term, but head teachers said they were being asked to consider change at what is already a busy time of year. The request came after a consultation which asked for views on how the uniform cost burden could be eased for families struggling with the cost of living. Families on lower incomes can apply for a Welsh Government grant of up to £300 to help with the cost of uniform, but this hasn't always eased the worry for parents. TES magazine reports on comments made by Shadow Education Secretary Bridget Phillipson at last weekend's NAHT conference. In a message to Head, she said Labour will ensure pupils are taught by specialist teachers in each subject. She commented that schools are facing a perfect storm in recruitment and retention in the teaching workforce and that this was forcing more and more schools to rely on non-expert teachers. The Labour Party analysis found that more than one in four physics lessons in the past year has been taught by a non-expert teacher, whilst one in ten maths lessons are taught by a non-expert. 
It also said research indicated that some teachers were delivering lessons in subjects where they had no relevant post-A-level qualification, including two in three computing teachers and one in four design and technology teachers. The comments did not include any clear detail of how the party plans to tackle individual subject shortages. Staying with the recruitment theme, ITV News posed the question, do Britain schools need more male teachers? After research showed that around one quarter of schools in England don't have a male classroom teacher. Some experts argue that it means young people could miss out on having male role models. Although others say it's the quality of the teaching that is important, not the gender of the teacher. The article prompted many to comment that during a recruitment crisis, it was inappropriate to focus on gender rather than skill. This was backed up to an extent by a Channel 4 news piece that focused on National Education Union comments that teachers in England are leaving in droves. The report focused on numbers in the profession after the Department for Education asserted that there are more teachers now than over a decade ago, although they did acknowledge that the need has also grown. The NEU raised the concern that within five years of qualifying, one in three teachers leave the profession. These are figures based on those published by the DfE. This has been a pattern for over a decade. The failure to meet recruitment targets has created further gaps in the workforce. Between 2010 and 2021, vacancies in schools have almost trebled for both full and part-time posts. The programme also featured comparisons of class sizes in England, Scotland and Wales. Smaller class sizes are often seen as a way to reduce workload and therefore could make the profession more attractive. The research shows that Scotland has the lowest average class size amongst the home nations, but the UK compares unfavourably with class sizes internationally, the UK having class sizes above average when compared to Greece, South Korea and Germany. The feature highlights the issue of workload and recruitment as another core aspect of industrial action. Finally, to mark the coronation of King Charles III, the DfE announced that it was joining forces with the Eden Project to send thousands of packets of wildflower seeds to primary schools across the country. In an initiative designed to mark the event as well as help children learn about biodiversity, around 40 rugby pitch-sized meadows could be created. The plan was met with enthusiasm by some, although many have criticised the cost of this at a time when funding for schools is so hotly debated. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, this week I'm going to talk about revision. Lots of our young people are turning to social media for advice and the hashtag study tips is full on trending. Get me using buzzwords. I am so down with the kids. Anyway, this could be a secret weapon that you could untap simply by being a devoted listener and not skipping past me on Podbean. We all know there are millions of factors that come into play, like sleep, nutrition, hydration, actually being in school and actively participating, but that doesn't matter on social media. And let's face it, any revision beats no revision. So here is what I've found. Read it 10 times, say it 10 times, write it twice. No research quoted, no posh name, just a good idea that our kids are listening to because it isn't being said by their teacher, yet. Another I found was use flashcards. I mean, why have no teachers ever thought of that? It's okay though, now social media is telling our young people to do it, they will. Just provide cards, writing utensils and a link. One of my favourites, give yourself no other option. Remove all distractions. Switch your phone off and put it in another room. You have no other option but to be incredibly bored or study. Yes, this is a technique that is trending. There are loads of good tips out there, all of which we clearly have never tried to use with our pupils. Let me finish with something nobody has ever thought of. Make a revision calendar. Mind blown. We could have been recommending this for years. There are even newly developed methods with catchy titles like the 2357. No, it's not a new Netflix series. You count backwards from the night before the exam. Two days, three days, five days, and seven days, and they are your revision sessions. All of these tips and more have only just been invented, so we seriously need to encourage our young people to get on social media and learn how to revise in the countdown to exam time. As always, if you have a tech question or any revision tips, why not get in touch at TT Radio Official. I'm Steve Woods, and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. 
this is some advice for teachers wanting to continue their professional development. What other advice would you give to teachers wanting? To um, okay, follow training courses, certainly. I mean, I, I specialise in Delta, but um, there's the Trinity Diploma as well. It doesn't have to be Delta, okay? Um, attend conferences. Mm. Conferences are, are full of enthusiastic people talking about new ideas and so on. Um, read stuff from the internet. There is so much stuff on the internet by really um, you know, good people like Professor Jack Richards. Um, there's a lot of stuff um, on his website, which is worth uh, uh, looking at. I've talked about people like Scott Thornbury, mm. lots of stuff there. So you know, look at stuff on the uh, on the internet. And then another thing I think you know is really important is observe other teachers. If there are teachers in the institution that you're working in that you think you know, are good teachers, ask them if they can if you can observe one of their lessons. Ask them if they'll come in and observe one of your lessons. Okay, and give you feedback. Mm. Okay, but um, failing that, or in addition, if you can, it's not always possible. Film one of your lessons. Um, we on our Delta Module Two courses, we always filmed all of the um, the, the trainees' lessons, and they all said they learned more by watching themselves on film mm. than in any other in any other way. Okay, because you don't realize, um, you know, seeing things from inside, you don't realize what it looks like from outside. Um, That's excellent advice, Sue. Really excellent advice. So, who we've talked, we've talked quite a lot about the people who inspire and influence you. What work done by others has most inspired you? Oh, that's 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 difficult. Um, I think I'd say, apart from the people I've already mentioned, right, leaving them apart because they are incredibly important, have been incredibly important. The humanistic movement of the 80s was crucial as um, as part of my development. Um, have I mentioned Earl Stevick yet? No. No. Okay. Um, I thought I might have done because when I was talking about need to... Um, focus on um, uh, language in one lesson and use demand high techniques, but then recycle it. This is really Stevick's idea of what he calls massed and distributed practice, that when a new item comes up, it's got to come up again and again and again in the first lesson. But then it's got to come back and be recycled in the next lesson, and then maybe five lessons on and then another five lessons on. So the, you know, it, it's, the practice is not only massed in the first lesson, but distributed over the, the whole course. Um, but what really inspired me for about, from Steve Eck was a, a book he wrote called Memory Method, where he looks at what affects memory. And um, that, I think, um, was you know, what I would... Uh, we'll talk about other mystic writers, um, people like Carl Rogers, who's not an EFL writer, he was just an educationalist. And mm. um, all the people uh, around that time who were writing about either EFL or education in general, mm. you know, from a humanistic viewpoint. Either. So tell us a fun fact about you. <laughs> a fact. Those people I don't know. <laughs> uh, okay, all right. Um, but I don't live by eleven eleven. Okay. <laughs> oh, <So>. really? <laughs> <laughs> Apart from my family and so on, uh, I'm a passionate gardener, which is difficult in Milan because people don't have gardens in Milan. We all live in sort of apartment blocks, and the most you have is um, is, is a balcony. Mm. I'm very lucky because I've got three balconies, one right along the front of my flat, one right along the back, and one in another flat where I've had my office for all these years. 
So I've actually got three balconies to play with. And, um, you know, I, 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 I'm not somebody who goes to a garden centre and buys up, you know, 30 plants, although I pretended to do so in my list. <laughs> um, I buy seed packets and take yeah. cuttings and grow my own, basically, and great, get enormous satisfaction. Um, there's been a lot of um, work done in, in Britain, and gardening here is not particularly um, important. But in Britain, there's a lot of uh, emphasis on how gardening can help make it health. Mm. And particularly during COVID, COVID yeah. how, you know, gardening moves and help people, but also organisations that work with people who've got mental health problems and so on. There. And even sort of theories like uh, this soil includes bacteria, which improve your mood. Like getting the bacteria on your hand and it absorbing that bacteria will actually improve your mood. And for me, it works. Yeah. I go out there and I've you know, got my seedlings to pot on. And, um, you know, I've got my hands in the soil and uh, you know, my, my nails you would never want to see because they're gardeners' nails, <laughs> grime encrusted on them. But, you know, um, get my hands in the soil for a half an hour. And I'm relaxed and I'm happy and uh, yeah, that's that's my um, saving, uh, I don't know, saving what, saving grace, whatever you call it. Lucky, lucky you. I mean, I'm not very good with seedlings or with planting things, but I'm um, my sort of therapy is weeding. <laughs> so ah, right. Okay. Pots and I find that really satisfying. Okay, that's interesting because. I used to have a uh, house in London, I've sold it now, um, um, but uh, I used to have a house in London and it was tenanted and the tenants never looked after the garden. So between tenants, I used to have to go home to weed the garden. <laughs> and, uh, that's the bit of gardening that I hate. So I wish I'd known you then because I would have invited you, you to invited come. Me. Oh, I could come with you, yes. Yeah. I think I went to actually try to find, oh, I went to see a friend in Holland and did a similar thing she had a very small garden and I was like, we've just got to do something about this. And so we pulled out all the weeds and planted a new tree. And it was like, oh, this is much better. And she's like, oh, it is. I wonder what, I wonder why I've left it so long. Um, but there, there you go. If okay, I'm gonna ask you a silly question. Did you, did you say there you go or there you grow? I, I there you grow. <laughs> I think that's a Freudian slip. I think it's my garden. There you go. Anyway, a silly question. Yeah. Um, a fun, oh, sorry, um, a silly question for you just to finish. Um, if you were a plant, what would you be? If I was a plant, what would I be? Oh, goodness. Um, that's difficult. Um, <laughs> I think um, something thorny because I do have a thorny side as all my trainees will tell you okay? <laughs> um, they've, all, they've all experienced it there so uh, you know maybe maybe rose in the sense that roses you know have their beautiful side mm -hmm. but you you know what if you work with roses if you're pruning them or whatever you know you end up with your your hands in ribbons if you haven't been wearing gloves because of, of, of the thorns i think i'm a bit like that um, there okay so you know my uh beautiful rosy side but also my thorny side <laughs> <laughs> and that was a, a question that i really wasn't expecting <laughs> i know <laughs> so Thank you so much for your time this morning. It, I mean, we haven't covered everything, but um, I'd just love to have you back on the show uh, again soon. I'd love to come. And to hear more about what you have to say about teaching, because I think it's really important. Um, I think there are lots of new teachers out there that need to hear what you're saying and need the support that you're there to give them um it's just wonderful your idea and um thank you again for your time okay. well, all say, yeah, if there are any teachers out there who are feeling in the way that you just explained and want to follow up on things um go to the elt notebook blog 
Yeah. And there's a search box. And if they just type in the keywords that they're interested in, um, they'll, you know, a lot will come up. So, you know, it's some of it is already there. So thank you. All right. Thank you very much. Have a, a lovely rest of your day and mm -hmm. look forward to seeing you again on the show soon. Okay. All right. Bye then. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.